Welcome in to the deep dive. This is a new format for the channel. Tuesday nights, it's the deep end. Wednesday nights, it's the deep dive. Deep dive into what? Deep dive into Bible camp, the Bible. And we're going to the book of Romans. So take out a paper Bible if you're watching this at home, comfortable on your couch and not uh, binging Netflix, <laughs> but rather joining me uh, in the study of God's word. This is what we do this for. This is what I love to do, and I am thrilled to bring this content uh, to you here on the channel, Tim Hatch Live uh, at, on YouTube. And make sure that you're liking the video. Hit that like button even before we get started because you're going to like it. You're going to love it. So hit the like button. Hit that subscribe button down there and the little notification bell as well so you can get notified as to when we go live. It is the deep dive. It is season five. It is episode one. And again, we are in the book of Romans. So join with me as we pray for God to open our, hear, uh, open our ears and open our eyes to hear his word. Father, speak to us through this book. Help us to hear you. Help us to see Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is an online Bible study on your time. You can watch it live or you can watch it anytime you want, or you can just listen to it on your favorite podcast app. And by the way, would you do me a favor if you're doing that? Leave me a review on your favorite podcast app. I love studying the Bible and I love doing this format because this format makes it really easy for all of us to just dive deep into the scriptures. This is not entertainment. This is not me trying to tell a bunch of jokes to get you, in, get you interested in what I'm trying to say. This is just going through the scriptures verse by verse. I think the Bible, no, no, no. I know the Bible is the source of all wisdom and all insight and all truth. I want to show you what I mean. Here's what it says in Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Are you simple? Do you think, man, I'm not deep enough to know the scriptures? Good news. The unfolding of God's word imparts understanding to you. You don't have to be some kind of super genius to receive God's word. And that's what I love about teaching the word of God. It just, it changes people. It has the power to change people. Now let's talk about the new format, okay? The new format is this. Every week, as far as I can tell going forward, we are going to do three things. We're going to talk about on the deep dive what the text meant, okay? So the Bible can never mean what it ever meant. We've got to go into the original context. We've got to understand who's writing to whom, for what reason, author, audience, purpose. Then we're going to get into what it means. In other words, so now what does this mean for us today? And we're going to unpack a lot of the spiritual truths that apply to our lives on a daily basis. And then we're going to finally say, well, what, why does this matter? Why, why do I have to know this? And, and so that's the threefold plan. <laughs> I hope you like it. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this uh, format, this kind of outline to give you more of a direction for what this whole endeavor is about. Today, I've got some special things over here on the side of my desk. Let's see if I can get, yeah, I'm going to show you these in just a moment. I just got back from Peru. These are gifts from my Peruvian Christian brothers and sisters, and I'm going to talk about them this week on the deep dive because it has everything to do with where we're going in the book of Romans. So with that in mind, let's get into the deep dive. All right, we are in the book of Romans, and it's time to discuss what it means. What is Romans? Romans is a letter from the first century from the, the apostle Paul. We know his story, right? His story is that he was not interested in following Jesus, and Jesus came and got him anyway. He continually uses his story of conversion as the archetype, if you will, of what it means to be saved. Why I say that is because the least likely to be saved in the New Testament, Saul of Tarsus, gets saved and becomes Paul the Apostle, the greatest apostle, the greatest messenger of the gospel that he tried to destroy in his former life. 
the world has ever known. And he says, listen, this is what it means to be saved. You are called by Christ. You did not just put your hand up in church one day and say, please save me. No, you knew that God got a hold of your heart. You knew you could no, never go back again. You knew you were different. So this is from that guy. This is from the guy that knew what it meant to be saved. It was written to a church in the first century in Rome. Rome was the capital of the world at that time. This would be like a letter written to New York City or Washington, D.C. And as much as we might bemoan these cities in our day for their pagan revelry and their hedonism, there are Christians in those cities just as there were in the first century in Rome. Never despise a city. You can critique the city. You can challenge the city and its leaders. And as Americans, we have that right written into our constitution to peacefully protest injustices and to fight for our rights. But let us not disparage the city because in every great city, God has a great big family. So was there in the first century of Rome. There was a Christian population. Now, now the Christian population, number four, was a Gentile majority. Why does that matter? Because uh, this book, Romans, is going to talk a lot about how we should treat each other even though we're from different backgrounds, Jew and Gentile. Most of the churches in the first century, people don't understand this, but most of the churches in the first century for the first 10 to 20 years of Christianity, even longer than that, were a majority of former Jews who had become Christians, who had been cast out of their synagogues. If you remember from the book of Revelation study, we talked about that, that the blotting out of one's name that Jesus keeps using as a kind of term is actually referring to what the Jews were doing to their fellow Jews who became Christians. They were blotting their names out of the synagogues in the first century as if to say, we now disown you. You are dead to us. Okay, well, anyway, in, in the first part of the Christian movement, the first 10, 20 years, it's majority Jews, minority Gentile. Well, Rome is the first church, really, where there's a majority of Gentiles. And that's important because... Uh, the Jews had certain convictions and the Gentiles did not share those convictions. And it was important for these two groups with these different con convictions to come together. I want you to hear that again. It was important for these two groups, Jew and Gentile, as Christians who are now brothers in Christ, reconciled, Ephesians 2, reconciled through the, the blood of Jesus, becoming one family. It was important for them to unite even though they were from different backgrounds. How important is that for our world right now where we are divided left, right? We were divided black, white. We were divided rich, poor. We were divided male, female. We were divided old, young. It is important for us to get back to the gospel because the gospel is the one thing, the root of our unity. And listen, guys, the church has to find unity in the world so that the world can see that there's an answer to all this division. Now, what happened in the first century in Rome was a guy named Claudius. He was emperor of Rome, and he expelled the Jews from Rome over an issue concerning Crestus. That's actually from an ancient Greek text. The word Crestus really means Christ. It's referring to Jesus. And so what has happened is that in the first century in the church in Rome, uh, there was so much hostility between Jew and Gentile that there was enough animosity between these two groups that the emperor got involved and said, okay, you people move. And he did that to the Jews and he sent them to Asia Minor and then First Peter is written to them. That's why he calls them elect exiles. But Romans is written to the leftover church to say, listen, this can't keep going. You guys got to come back together again. You guys got to learn how to live together. You guys got to have, you guys got to learn how to love each other in spite of your differences. And that's what the church has to do today. In spite of our political differences, in spite of our economic differences, in spite of our racial, really there's only one race, ethnic differences, we've got to come together because the church is the light of the world. So really the point of Romans, the point of Romans, believe it or not, is to write to a church on how to become one, but the main thrust of this book is the foundational text of the gospel. What is Romans about? Romans is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is no greater exposition on the gospel of Jesus Christ than the book that we are going to study this season on the deep dive. Okay, so let's get into the outline because I, I you know, we're just doing a Bible study. So we're going to outline the, uh, I've, I've broken it up into uh, four sections 
because I think, you know, you can outline the Bible really uh, almost with a fine tooth comb. And I don't want to do that. I want to just give you a general, let's do the 30,000 foot fly overview. So here we go. Romans 1 to 5, justification by faith. What does that mean to be justified by faith? What's the theology behind all of that? Romans 5 to 8 is life in the spirit. When you are justified by faith, your sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit comes into your body. And now you learn to live not according to the letter of the law, but according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, perhaps the greatest chapter in the entire Bible, talks about no condemnation, ends with no separation. And all throughout this this book, it talks that chapter, it talks about the Holy Spirit at work in us, setting us free, empowering us, speaking to us, encouraging us, bearing witness with our spirits that we are sons of God, giving us life. Amen. Romans 9 to 11, God's sovereign election. Ooh, you guys, some of you got to learn this from the Bible. I'm only going to teach you what's in the Bible. I'm not going to teach you what John Calvin said. I'm going to teach you what the Bible said. You got to learn about John. You got to learn about God's sovereign election. And then number four, Romans 12 to 6. Again, that's the main point. Life and the body coming together as one in Christ Jesus. And that is what this book is really intended for. How do you bring a church with all kinds of different people and all kinds of different backgrounds, particularly the greatest division in human history, Jew and Gentile, together as one? Here's how you do it. Are you ready? This is so good. You unpack the gospel because the gospel talks about how we who were divided from God were brought back together again, not by our own efforts, but by God's gracious work to save us from our sins and give us his spirit. He reunited the cosmic division between man and God, man and himself. He did that. Now we, as recipients of that grace, must learn to root ourselves deeper into that gospel so that we can root ourselves deeper into the community of the gospel. And we're not telling anybody ever again, please get out. Yeah. Remember? That's from season four. A little, up, little leftover season four love there. We're not telling people to get out. We're telling people to get in because Jesus has made a way. So that is what the book of Romans is outlined as, at least in this lesson. Okay. Now, uh, any, any preacher that is worth anything to his church will eventually one day lead his church through the book of Romans verse by verse. It is the most important book in the New Testament and perhaps the Bible. It really is because it unpacks the whole Bible for us. It's going to it's going to do this. It's going to do this right in chapter 1. You're going to see it. It's going to look back to this is what the whole Bible was pointing to, Jesus coming and becoming man and then rising from the dead. And now here's what it means for us. So any preacher who is worth anything to his church will lead his church through the book of Romans because if you understand this book, you understand <laughs> you understand everything you need to know about what it means to be a Christian. Great theologians in history on the book of Romans. Let's take a look at a couple of quotes. John Calvin wrote, when anyone gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures of scripture, to all the most hidden treasures of scripture. When anyone simple-minded or deep-minded gains a knowledge of this epistle, it all opens up. The whole Bible opens up. Martin Luther said this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. I love that text. I mean, I love that quote. Uh, Dr. Francis L. Patton, former Yale president, Yale Theological School president, back when Yale, uh, I'm sorry, not, not Yale, Princeton back when they knew what they were talking about, said this, the only hope of Christianity is the rehabilitating of the Pauline theology. It is back, back, back to the incarnate Christ and the atoning blood, or it is on, on, on to atheism and despair. Notice the dichotomy that he lays out there for you. You either deepen yourself into God became man in Christ and atoned for your sins through his blood, or you give up on it all and you turn to atheism and despair. John Wesley, and I want to dig a little deep into this for a second, but uh, this is his story. Let me, let me say this before we get to the quote. This is his story. John Wesley was 
a Christian, well, a professing Christian in Great Britain, and he was uh, a scholar. He went to Oxford. He passed with flying colors. He was ordained into the Anglican Church. He was part of a Christian group, a Christian society in that college whose members took vows to lead holy lives, taking communion once a week, praying daily, and visiting prisons regularly. In addition, he spent three hours every afternoon studying the Bible and other devotional material. But he wasn't saved. Yes, he, he wasn't saved. By his own admission, he says he knew he wasn't saved. What saved him? It was when he studied the book of Romans. When he dove deep into this text and it caught him and it transformed him into a man no longer in bondage to sin, but set free from the, by the power of the gospel to obey Christ from the heart. That's the power of this book. Okay, back to his quote. John Wesley said, In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans at about quarter before nine while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I love that. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that fantastic? That, that this, this man uh, came to Christ in spite of all of his religious occupation and activity, he came to Christ through the study of this book and his heart was changed. See, that's what the Bible should be doing, not just informing the mind, but changing the heart. Now, why do I bring up John Wesley? Because if you don't get John Wesley saved, you don't have America as we know it. Yes, fact. I'm telling you, this man and his brother, Charles Wesley, who wrote many hymns, these two men transformed the world, along with George Whitfield, transformed the West, transformed Great Britain, and then ultimately transformed the colonies of America and the newly formed American nation. And because of their transformation into, into Christ, the world became what it is. The freedoms that we enjoy as, as Americans, rooted in the great revivals, brought about by the preaching of the gospel because these men were changed by the power of this book, Romans. I mean, think about it. Isn't that exciting to think about how much this book has already changed your life, your world? And now as we study it, here's what I hope is going to change your heart. It's going to change who you are from the inside. So let's get into the book of Romans and what it means. Romans 1, Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel, keyword of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, servant, called, set apart. Servant, called, set apart. Uh, I'm going to get highlighter pens eventually for this, uh, for this show, but for right now, just deal with my hairy hands and long fingers. <laughs> okay. Um, what, what, what is this text all about? What, what is Romans chapter? What is not Romans chapter one, but what is Romans doing? It is a letter. It is written by Paul again. And here's the three designations that Paul gives himself. Servant of Christ, uh, called to be uh, called to be an apostle. Okay. So he's called to this. And then he's set apart, if you will, for the gospel of God. Um, those three designations are going to be the application for us today in this text. Those, those three designations. Servant, doulos. Slave, really, in Greek. Doulos. He's a slave. He's owned by Jesus. And then an apostle, someone who is sent. He's called to be sent. Remember at his uh, conversion in Acts chapter 9, he is called by Jesus to stop fighting the king, the, the church and start promoting the church and to suffer for the church. And then Ananias is told by the Lord Jesus that he is my chosen servant that I have sent to the nations. He's going to testify to me before kings and those of the, and Gentiles. He's going to be my servant. So he's called and then he's set apart. And, and, and here's the thing. I want you to just look with me on the text again. A servant is the first thing he calls himself. And then he gets to called. Christians today love to talk about their calling, not so much their serving. 
Christians today love to talk about their calling. Oh, I'm called to be this. I'm called to be that. I'm called to sing. I'm called to preach. I'm called to pastor. I'm called to lead. I'm called to have this business. Okay, but first, you're a servant of Christ. Okay, here's, here's the point that I want to get to. We must put our serving before our calling. We must put our serving before our calling. You are a servant first. That comes first. Number one, what is Tim on youtube.com slash Tim <laughs> I'm a servant. I'm a servant of Christ. That's what I exist for. That's what you exist for. You are then knowing that you are a servant of Christ, you will find your calling in Christ. That's number two. So serving first. Number two, calling. And that's the order that Paul comes to in this text. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. And then thirdly, set apart for the gospel of God. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to talk about this set apart. That word in Greek means to be literally assigned to a job, a specific job in someone's house. And so what, do you, what am I as a Christian? What, what did Paul see himself as? He saw himself as a servant who was called for a specific task. What are you as a servant? What, what are you as a Christian? You are a servant. You are called to a specific, specific, to a specific task. So here's what I think. We got to get the order right. We got to get the order right in our faith and in our walk with Christ. When a serving spirit comes before our calling, we discover our purpose. These three words, serving, calling, purpose, are going to be the themes of the application today for you personally, and then we're going to talk about what the book is about again. Because here, here's the deal. Your purpose is not about you. It's, it's not about what you want to do. It's not about what you think your life is meant to be. Your purpose is what God has called you to serve. Let's put it back on the screen. So your purpose is about what God has called you to serve. And what has he called you to serve? The gospel of God. What has God called you to serve? Okay. The gospel of God. This, this is so important in, in, in today's selfie generation, in today's self you know, living generation, self-serving generation. You've got to give yourself to God's purposes, not your own. See, Paul began with the Jews and he started preaching to them and they rejected him. So he just went on to the Gentiles and he found his calling. But he's willing to serve where he was. That, that's what you need to do. You need to serve where you are. Where are you? Serve there. It's not, not about my acclaim. It's not about my followers. It's not about my fans. It's not about the thumbs up and the likes. It's about serving Christ. Nothing wrong with fans, likes, followers, but are you leading them to Christ? Are you leading them to see the goodness of God in your life? So called, I'm sorry, a servant who is called to the purpose of God and the purpose of God is the gospel. We are called to serve the purposes of the gospel. Let's get into this because this is huge. The Bible is unfolding the gospel. The Bible is unfolding the gospel. Here's what the gospel is. Are you ready for it? The gospel is good news. The gospel, the word in Greek, evangelon, is just the word for good news or good tidings. And that's what the gospel is. It's good news for a world filled with bad news. Here's how I hope this channel works. Here's how I hope this channel works. You tune in on, on Tuesday night, okay, and we're going to talk about the bad news in the world. This is how I hope this channel works. And then you tune in just 24 hours later to the deep dive and you discover the good news in the midst of that bad news. So hopefully you can make it the uh, 23 hours from the end of the deep end to the beginning of the deep dive because we want to transition from bad news to the good news. And that's what, that's what Charles Spurgeon said. Every good preacher has the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. Why? Because the newspaper is the good, bad news and the gospel or the Bible is the good news. Here's what the good news is. The good news is that you don't have to change yourself. The good news is that Christ came to change you. Christ came to make you new. Christ was sent for 
you. And that's what Paul gets sent to here in Romans chapter 1. The gospel of God, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is a mouthful. But I, I got this great I got this great diagram for you, and I'm going to put it up on the screen to just make this point that when Paul talks about what what's all about uh, the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scripture, what's all this about? All this Old Testament stuff, promises, but mainly one promise. We have like little Bible promise books, but there's one promise. The promise, according to the prophets in the Scriptures, was concerning his son. And there are a couple facts about his son you want to know. He was descended from David according to the flesh. He, was a, he became man. God's son became a man through the lineage of David. David had a covenant with God that his son would one day reign on the throne for all eternity. And God would never take him off that throne. That's fulfilled in the son who was descended from David. And was declared to be the son of God in, the power, in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Big deal that he says Jesus Christ, our Lord, because in Rome, you had to declare that Caesar was Lord. And Paul right now here in this moment makes a political statement. Jesus Christ is our Lord. He is not, he is, Caesar is not our Lord, Jesus. So Joe Biden might be my president, but Jesus Christ is my Lord. Amen. Praise God for that. And, 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 and I, I put this on the screen now because this is exciting. This is what I'm talking about. The Bible is all about Jesus promise beforehand who that that the old testament is pointing to jesus okay the old testament the prophets uh jeremiah isaiah uh, uh, ezekiel moses samuel pointing to jesus and then he is a man he is descent he is a man god became man he is descended from david and this is important because now you have to understand that jesus knows what it feels like to be a human. He knows what it feels like to have disappointment, aggravation, uh, hatred, animosity, resentment. He knows what it feels like to have people castigate him, ostracize him, reject him. If you know Christ, you have a God who knows how it feels to be a man. Isn't that wonderful? He is not disconnected from your pain. He is not disconnected from your issues. He can feel it, but he's also the son of God through the power of his resurrection. That resurrection power of Jesus declared he is not just a man, he is the son of God and he has the power you need to overcome the pains of your human existence. That's what the Bible is about and that's what this epistle is about. That's what the letter to the Romans is about. When I say epistle, by the way, epistle just means letter. So it's... It's the power of God through the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was promised through the Bible, through the Old Testament, to come and deliver us from the bad news of this world. Amen. Now, let's go on in the text. Verse 5. Through whom? Through, through Jesus. We have received grace and apostleship. Uh, so Paul says, it's by grace that I'm an apostle. And it's by grace you are what you are. Okay, to bring about the obedience of faith. That's an important text. Not the obedience of the law, the obedience of faith. The Bible is not a set of rules to be adhered to. The Bible is a story of God saving you so that you could live the life he wants you to live. And that's called the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. And look at this word. Look at this line among the nations, among the nations. I want a special notation right there. The gospel is meant to go to the nations. That's what Paul does. That's what Paul said he was all about. He was the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He was sent to the nations. And I want you to see something that that's been God's plan since the, since the, since sin entered into the world. That's been God's plan even before then to save the nations through his family, uh, Israel, from whom would come his son, Jesus Christ. Paul always had, let's go to the Bible camp. Paul always had uh, a national, international view in mind when it came to the gospel. It wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the nations. And he was constantly speaking of the nations in his 
letters. That's what the epistle to the Ephesians is about. The nations coming together through Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something. We are experiencing this right now because most of us are not Jews. I'm not a Jew. I don't think many of you are Jews, but we're all Christians through the Jew, Jesus Christ. We are all sons and daughters of God through the Jew, Jesus Christ. It's amazing how far this has gone. So I just came back from Peru. And you got my hats back here. Those are all Peruvian hats. I bought them in the marketplace down there in Peru. And I witnessed the gospel going to the nations firsthand. I flew six hours to Lima, another hour and a half to Cusco, drove four and a half hours to a small city called Abancay, and I met a missionary Peruvian family in the city, and I want to put them up here on the screen. That was them at their house, and a wonderful couple, uh, and, and three daughters, and they all served the Lord. And the, and the white dude behind them is named Jeff Mokarski. He is the uh, Waters Church's ambassador through Let Love International to the country of Peru to bring the gospel to the nations. And this, this beautiful family brings the gospel up into the hills, into the mountains of Peru in one of the most remote areas uh, I've ever been to. And I was, I was 3,800 miles away from home. And here I met and I, and I sat down in their house. And, and you know, whenever I meet Christians in another nation, um, I, I always ask this question, what brought you to Jesus? And if you ever want to have a great time with Christians that you just meet, ask them, what brought you to Jesus? How'd you come to Christ? Because I'll tell you, those stories are so awesome. So here's what happened. The father came home from work one day, exhausted and demoralized from his efforts at work, laid on the bed and was ready to give up and quit. Turned on the TV and Jimmy Swaggart was preaching the gospel. Maybe you know Jimmy Swaggart. And it was being translated into Spanish so he could understand it. And Jimmy Swaggart, at the end of his message, gave the altar call, gave the response moment and said, you there to the TV screen, said, you there laying on your bed, disappointed and disjointed, you need to repent and give your life to Jesus. And this man, this father right here, got down on his knees beside his bed and prayed to Jesus to forgive him of his sins. And, and, and then tears came down from his face. As he was telling us this story, tears came down his face. It was so powerful. It was so amazing to hear his story. And he said, he was weeping as he was telling the story. It happened years ago. It happened 30 years ago. He's weeping as he's telling the story of coming to Christ through the TV, <laughs> Jimmy Swagger. And he says, in my whole life, my father told me that real men don't cry. And here he is 30 years later, and he's still crying over the change that God brought about in his heart through Jesus Christ. The nations. The mom. Let's talk about her. This is the mom right here. She came to Christ because missionaries from America and Japan decided to go door to door and knock on doors in Abancay, Peru. The most remote city I've ever been to. Seriously, like you would never aim. No one's aiming to go to Abancay, Peru. But these missionaries did. She told us his name, Robert Hamilton. Do you know him? I don't know him. Do you know who knows him? Jesus Christ. Jesus sent Robert Hamilton to her house. Her parents got saved. She got saved. And she was raised in the faith. They met. They got married, they went to missionary school, and now they raised three daughters who go into the mountains of Peru, into the, poorest into the poorest communities of that country to bring the gospel where? To their nation. The gospel is going to the nations. Here's a picture of their team, two of the daughters there, and then two of the uh, Sunday school teachers that we were on the mountains with that day, bringing the gospel to children. By the way, the father of the family now works for a Bible translation company in Peru, and he is, he is one of the main um, t uh, translators of the Bible into the Quechua language. It is a native language of the Peruvian people, perhaps the native language, I think it's actually, it was the native language of the Incas, the ancient people, the Incas who, who built Machu Picchu and other notable locations in Peru. And so this guy, this father who I met is now on the front lines of Bible translation to the nations. It is wonderful to be a part of the kingdom of God because you get to see, you get to see these places. I never would have imagined I'd be there in Peru. I never would have imagined that I would be in the midst of this place at that time hearing that story and meeting someone bringing the gospel so on my desk right over here he gave me a gift he gave me these gifts uh i want to open this one first here's here's the first gift uh this is a copy and i was so privileged that he gave this to me in this nice little peruvian bag this is a copy put it up right here so you can see it of the new testament in Keshua. This is his work right here. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? 
Let me see if I can put it on a Bible cam so you guys can see it. There you go. There it is. The, 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 the good news of Jesus Christ in the Keshua language, the language of the Incans. And, and by the way, this is a brand new translation. The Bible has never until now been translated into Keshua. I, I mean, isn't that amazing? And what a gift. What a tremendous gift. I was, I was brought to tears, actually, in their living room when they did that. Uh, the second thing that they gave me was this little gift right here. And uh, this nice little package. And I, I was floored when they gave this to me. I want you to see this for a second. He gave me, rolled up, little. it looks like a little scroll. It looks like a little ancient scroll. You know what it is? These are his translation notes. I want to see if I can put this up on the Bible cam for you. These are his translation notes, okay, for translating the Bible into the Keshua language. <laughs> Just beautiful. And, and this was his gift to me and, uh, and to Chris, who was with me down there last week. Even as I even as I touch it, and even as I hold it right now in my hand, I kind of I kind of get um, I kind of get worked up a little bit. Uh, I would cherish this for the rest of my life. This will always be in my office. As this this you know what this you know what this little container represents. Do you know what it represents for me? It represents exactly what Paul was talking about. That the gospel, the gospel is going to the nations. The gospel is going to them. That we obey through faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you Romans and you Americans, Peruvians, Mexicans, Japanese, Asians, Russians, Germans, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Again, we were up on the mountains uh, leading a Sunday school, and those were the little students uh, learning about Jesus. It was just a powerful week. I have a lot more to share and at my church we'll be sharing a lot more this weekend. Um, yeah, let me put that up. There's the, there's the, uh, the video of Let Love International in action on the mountaintops in a big soccer field bringing the gospel to these kids and they all got <laughs> some popcorn. <laughs> that kid's eating some popcorn and they got Bibles for themselves. Amen. Praise God. The church is powerful. The church, the gospel, Romans. Let's get back into it. Um, Romans chapter one, verse eight, first, and this is a big first, let's get to the details of what I'm writing to you for. I thank God. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may know I, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul expresses his thanks for their faith. Okay. He says, listen, I, I thank God for you. I thank my God for all of you because your faith is well known throughout the world. And I mention you without ceasing in my prayers. And I ask that somehow I will come to you. He wants to come to see them. But before he comes to see them, listen to what he says. I'm praying for you. Okay. So remember we talked about serving because you are called to a purpose, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Okay, serving, because you're called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus as a, as a person. You don't have to preach, you have to live for the glory of God. But here's, what, here's where ministry really hits the ground running. Prayer comes first in any missionary endeavor. Remember, Paul said, first, I thank God through Jesus, because of your faith, and I, with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, I, without ceasing, mention you always in my prayers. First, I pray. First. That's how important it is to, to, combi to combine prayer and ministry. It's got to come first. Robert Mount said the real work of ministry is prayer. So many Christians, they want influence in the world, but they don't have an intimacy with the Father. Ooh, somebody should write that down. You want influence, but you don't have an intimacy with the Father. Paul prayed for every church that he ever ministered to. I want you to see this on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I give thanks to God always for you. I pray to you always. Philippians 1.3, I thank God always in, my, in all my remembrance of you. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God 
when we pray for you. First Thessalonians 1, 2, we give thanks to God always for you, mentioning you in our prayers. Second Thessalonians 1, 3, we always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as right, for your faith is growing rapidly. Second uh, uh, Timothy 1, 3, I thank God whom I serve. I, I, I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. Philemon, verse 4, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers. Um, every location that Paul brought the gospel to, and every person he wrote and ministered to, guess what? He prayed for. Prayer comes before any ministry endeavor. Some of you are not having success in your ministry endeavors because you don't pray. You don't lay it before God. You don't get on your knees in intimacy with the Father. What does Jesus do right before he goes into the ministry? He goes out into the wilderness after being baptized by John. He goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, but also he fasts and prays for 40 days and 40 nights. He gets alone with the word of God. You want, to, you want success in your life as a Christian? Get on your knees and pray. Seek the Father's help and strength. When he calls his disciples in Luke chapter 6, he spends the whole night in prayer and then he gets up in the morning and then he calls his disciples and he chooses the 12. He prayed all night before he chose the 12. I wonder what would happen in your life if you prayed before you made those choices, if you prayed before you put the offering on the house, if you prayed before you selected the job opportunity, if you prayed before you went on the date, if you prayed before you, uh, you know, stepped out into that new endeavor in your business. So many Christians want influence, but they don't have an intimacy with the Father. So many Christians want an audience, but they never give an audience to God. So many Christians want importance, but they haven't made prayer and time with the Lord important. If you want a ministry and you want to know your calling and you want to understand your purpose, get on your knees and pray. Instead of criticizing your church, pray for it. Instead of criticizing your pastor, pray for him. Instead of criticizing your brother or sister in Christ, pray for them. Oh, instead of getting on Facebook and typing out the little, you know, innuendo comment that you're aiming at them and hoping that they see it when you press send, maybe pray for them. Maybe this is how we get back to unity in the gospel. Maybe this is how we get back to peace. And then he wants to, now back to Paul. He wants to come and see them. I hope that by God's will, I might at last come and see you. Why? For tourism? For adventure? For his ministry to be validated? For, for more celebration of what he has done for them? No. Verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I want to impart to you. I want to strengthen you. And then that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. In other words, I'm coming to you because we need to be together. Let me stop there for a moment. We need to be together. That's why the lockdowns were the most hideous thing that ever happened to the church. That's why we had to open our church where I pastor up in North Ottawa, Massachusetts, as soon as possible, because the church has got to come together. Paul was praying for an opportunity to come together with the Romans because he knew that's how important it is. We encourage each other when we come together. You know what? You live in a bad news world, and if you only spend time on your phone scrolling through the bad news of this world and you never get with other Christians who love Jesus, you will be thoroughly depressed. You need to come together. And you are encouraged and you are built up together and strengthened together. And then he says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. He says, I do not want you to be aware, brothers, that I've often intended. I have often intended to come to you, but thus far been prevented in order that I may re reap a harvest. So again, I want you to be blessed when I come. And I want the gentle. I want to come so that I can impart something to you. I want to come so that I can bring strength to you. Uh, and then he says, I've tried to do this, but God said no. And I wonder who I'm talking to today and you have tried to do something for the Lord and he said no. And you tried to get that position and he said no. And you tried to get that job and he said no. And this is exactly what happened to Paul. He wanted to go to Rome and God said no. And in the, new, in the uh, Living Bible translation of this verse, it says, but God said, but God kept me from coming to you. He's, he's literally saying God said no. So how about you when God says no to what you want, to your, your calling that you think is your, your purpose that you think is your, your, your aim to be wherever you think you should be in life. When God says no, here's a good question for you. When God says no to what you want, are you okay serving in the places where you are? Hmm? That's an important text. That's an important question. I'm sorry. That's an important question. When God says no, and he says, I'm not going to let you go there. Can you say, okay, I will serve here. 
See, see <laughs> there's a big uh, idol in the church. There's a big idol in the American church. This doesn't happen in Afghanistan and Iran. No, no, no. This happens in the American church where we have stages and we have celebrity singers and celebrity pastors. And we have Instagram fans and we have preachers with sneakers where it's all about who's on stage and how good can they preach and how cool are they looking and how modern and hip are they and how well do they sing and how well do they, you know, play or whatever. Is that really, is that really the epitome of Christianity? No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not the purpose of your life. Your purpose, the purpose of your life is to serve where you are. The purpose of your life is to serve where you are. Can, can you pick up a broom and sweep? Can you minister to children? Can you greet people at the, at the door? Can you visit people in the hospital? Can you bring warm meals to people who have just had a baby or a miscarriage or a divorce or a death in the family? Can, can you do things that no one is aiming for? in this world because we are those who follow Jesus who emptied himself and became a servant and served where he was in Nazareth and Capernaum in Galilee ultimately in Jerusalem and laid his life down for us when God says no to what you want can you be okay serving in the place where you are okay last verses we're going to look at verse 14 and 15 Bible camp I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. A couple things about this text. I am under obligation. There's a, there's a twofold uh, kind of paradoxical uh, reality here in verses 14 to 15. He's un, he has to do. He has to preach the gospel. And this is going to get good for a second, in just a second. Just let, let me unpack it. He ha, I, I need to preach. And I need to preach to Greeks. And I need to preach to barbarians, non-Greeks. And I need to preach to the wise and the sophisticated. And I need to preach to the foolish and the uneducated. And I am eager to do it. I am obligated. And I am, what? Eager. This is what Christian life and serving and purpose looks like, that you are ready to serve wherever you are. As Charles Spurgeon on this text, uh, on this text in Romans chapter uh, one, verse 14, he has, a whole ver- he has a whole message on verse 15, I am eager. And the translation he uses says, I am ready. And he talks about this. This is a quote from his, from his sermon. Almost directly after the Lord appears to him, his question was, Lord, what will you have me to do? He was no sooner converted than he was ready to our holy service and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues at Damascus. All through his life, whatever happened to him, he was always ready. If he had to speak to crowds in the street, he had a fitting word. Or if, the, or if to the elite on Mars Hill, he was ready for the philosophers. That's Acts 17. If he talked to the Pharisees, he knew how to address them. And when he was brought before the Sanhedrin, he perceived the Pharisaic and Sadducean element in it. He knew how to avail himself to their mutual jealousies to help his own escape. See him before Felix, before Festus, before Agrippa, He was always ready, and when he came to stand before Nero, God was with him, and he delivered him out of the mouth of the lion. If you find him on board ship, he is ready to comfort men in the storm. And when he gets on shore, a shipwrecked prisoner, he is ready to gather sticks to help make the fires. At all points, he is an all-around man and an already man, always ready to go wherever his master sends him and to do whatever his Lord appoints him. Hmm. Are you ready? Are you eager? Um... Let me tell you why all this matters. Three big points we've talked about that we are servants called to God's purpose. So three tests I want to get to to know your calling. Number one, could you do anything else and be happy? Could you do anything else? So there are specific callings to your life. I I believe this. Some of your hands, some of your feet, some of your noses. You know, we're all parts of the body of Christ, right? And everyone is... Everyone is important. So how do I know my calling? Where am I called to? Can you do anything else and be happy? In other words, there's this two-pronged approach that you have this obligation and yet you are eager to do it. I have to do it and I really want to do it. Can you do anything else and be happy? Let me tell you something about my life. I could not do anything else and be happy. I love doing this. 
I love preaching the word, teaching the word to you. Number two on this list, would you do it without recognition or praise? So could you do anything else and be happy? And would you do it without recognition and praise? That's exactly how Paul felt. That's what Paul experienced. He was shipwrecked. He was tortured. He was whipped. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was chased out of town. He was rejected by his brothers. He was constantly criticized, even by his own followers. He was undermined by his own churches. And yet he kept doing it without recognition, without praise. You know how you know you're calling? Because you can do it without people celebrating you. You just, you just love doing it because you know this is what God has called you to do. Number three, are you focused on helping others? Servants are called to the gospel of Jesus Christ to proclaim it because the gospel lifts us out of the bad news and brings us to the good news. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So, so, so these are the three questions. That's, this is why this text matters. The Bible is about Jesus. And Jesus is the uh, fulfillment of the gospel, the good news. And you're a servant called to present that to the world, helping your church reach people for Christ, serving one another in love, coming together in unity, supporting the mission, and then seeing the gospel go forward. Not everybody preaches. Not everybody sings. Not everybody serves. Not, uh, not everybody waits on tables. Not everybody does kids ministry. But you got to do something. What do you got to do? What, 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 what can you do eh, that you don't need praise for that will help others to know the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus? That's the episode. Deep Dive, Episode 1, Season 5, the book of Romans. I'm excited to get into it. I know you are too. I, this is just the beginning. We're going to go slow. I hope you're ready for it. Uh, make sure that you are checking us out at timhashlive.com. Uh, follow us on all the socials. That's uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. They're all at Tim Hatch Live. And then YouTube and Facebook are forward slash Tim Hatch Live. Hit that like button. Hit that uh, notification bell. Hit that subscribe button. And I uh, look forward to tomorrow with you. Oh, gosh, three times in one week. Are you sick of me yet? 10 questions with Tim tomorrow. <laughs> Send your questions in at ask at uh, That's tomorrow noontime, or you can just put them in the comments below. Uh, we have spots left, so make sure you do it. And then again, we'll be back for more bad news next Tuesday, but don't worry, every Wednesday there will be uh, good news in the gospel of Jesus from the, from the book of Romans. I'll see you soon. 